You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Welcome, Sienna, Cypress, downtown, digital family, radio ministry as well. And there's something so powerful when we worship together. If you're not really a big singer, I would just encourage you to be a big heart singer and just let your heart go to the Lord because there's something powerful about that, letting those words wash over you and to connect in those ways. We've been in a series called Good Questions, and it's been lasting. This is our fifth session in Good Questions, and our last one, and it's been incredible. You've been submitting your good questions to me, and so we've kicked off every message with me answering questions you've submitted. I've received over 250 questions, so I can't get to them all. So I tried to pick some ones that maybe had some other thoughts around them or really hard ones even and different ones. So I think we're gonna hit it good today. So I'm either gonna get fired or we're gonna just have a great time. know what's going to happen on this thing, but it's going to be great. So let's jump in to some good questions, and then we'll jump from that to Romans chapter 11. So let's start with an easy one. Here we go. Any advice about the craziness of today's world? It seems to be getting worse. Do you feel that? That's not an easy one, but do you feel that? Yeah, we feel that. Well, I would say a couple things here. One, we are witnessing the results of a society that has removed God, embraced humanism, and destroyed the family. And when you put all those things together, you end up with a lot of chaos. And it's very complex to solve it, but a lot of chaos that happens. In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. And so what we've seen is the upside downness of the world, where we've said things that are bad are really good and things that are evil are really great. And we've seen all of this, and with the destruction of the family, the removing of God, the embracing of humanism, we've ended up in a problem that we are now. Now, I want you to also, though, be encouraged. It's always been bad, okay? It's just, it's our time for the bad is what's happening. If you think about what we're teaching here, we're going through the book of Romans, and in Romans, we've got Nero is the Caesar at the time, and Peter and Paul are going to be martyred, and Paul is speaking to the Romans, and he's teaching them the same things we should be doing, pray, walk with Jesus, shine Christ to the world, make a difference where you are, in your neighborhood, your workplace, and all of those places, and really let God uh, do his work through you. We're a city set upon a hill, a light and a darkness, so that we can truly make a difference. Now, I'd also say this, all the good news doesn't get reported, so don't believe everything you're hearing. There's some good things going on as well. So the craziness of the world, that's a few thoughts on that. Number two, here we go, should a Christian get a tattoo? All right. Let's just jump in. You asked, I'm answering. If you're over 60, you say, absolutely not, okay? If you're under 30, you go, well, what's the big deal, right? So let's go a little bit bigger. Let's take it a little bit further, and let's think about this a bit. Um, First of all, tattoos are tremendously popular in American culture. 21% of Americans have a tattoo. There's actually now a Barbie with a tattoo, okay? Okay. So we got Tattoo Barbie uh, in her dream house is what we got going on. Uh, There was a lady in our church. She told me that she was going to get tattooed on her wrist, the word brave, but she didn't have the courage to do it. So she didn't do it. (laughs) Little irony there on what's happening. 
Well, let me give you a verse of scripture in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 28. It's kind of the classic uh, scripture on this. And what it says is this. Um, it says, you're not to make gashes on your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself for I am, a, I am the Lord. So now what's happening here though, is that Moses is speaking to the people about not being identified with Egyptian pagan gods. He's not talking about cosmetics, okay? So he's not talking about the way that you look. He's saying, I don't want you to gash your body to try to appease the gods, little g, of the dead and of the grave. I don't want you to put markings on your body to show that when you were in Egypt, remember the people of God were in Egypt, that you belong to the gods of Egypt. See, ownership can be stated by tattoos. Gangs may say, we want you to get a tattoo. Slaves were tattooed often. People in the Holocaust were tattooed. It was a statement of ownership. And what he's saying is, you're owned by the Lord, so don't say that you're owned by the Egyptian gods. Don't follow the Egyptian gods. So is getting a tattoo a sin? No, it's not. I don't have a tattoo. I don't plan on getting a tattoo, but that verse is not speaking to tattoos as a sin. I'll give you one other just little place of this. The verse 27, right before that, it says, you're not to cut off the hair at the sides of your head or mar the, image, or mar the edges of your beard. So don't cut the hair off the side of your head or trim your beard. Now, that does not mean everybody with a flat top is sinning before God, okay? Our entire military is in sin because of this. So it's saying, you don't belong to the Egyptian gods and we don't want you to act like you do. So it's about ownership and identity, not about cosmetics. Now, let me say this though. I thought uh, Will Honeycutt, a professor of contemporary issues and apologetics at Liberty University did a great job. He gives us four M's about tattoos. And here's his phrase, first of all, he says, think before you ink, think before you ink. Number one, motive for a tattoo. What was your motive? What's your motive? I'm gonna rebel against my parents. Well, that is a sin, okay? I'm gonna have self-promotion. I want everybody to look at me. Well, that's a problem right? So what's the motive? Why are you doing this? Um, and why are you taking this? Is it peer pressure that you're giving into? Rebellion, self-promotion. Number two, marketability. Will this prevent anything happening in your life that you may want to happen in the future? That you got to think about that. Will that prevent? Now you could call that judgment, whatever. I'm just telling you that's one of his things. You got to think this through. A lot of times we make decisions younger that we wish we wouldn't have made older. Number three, what's the message of your tattoo? What are you communicating with this tattoo? And so now some, the next one, I'll, I'll connect with this. The, the last one is this, maturity, maturity. Sometimes we make decisions younger that we wish we wouldn't have at the end. So the question you need to ask is, will this look good in the nursing home? Okay, that's your question. <laughs> that's where we're all headed. So maturity, because tattoos can often be a, temp a permanent proof of temporary insanity, okay? And so if you've got a tattoo that you're like, gosh, I'm embarrassed of this now. Here's what you do. This is who I used to be. This is who I am in Christ now. And you use it as a ministry tool to show the change that Jesus has made in your life. Okay. It's tattoo regret is what it's called um, to have that. We had a relative in our family. He was in love with this girl. He got a big old flowery tattoo with her name across his chest and they broke up. It's real hard to get first, middle and last name into mom, right? You know, it doesn't, doesn't work quite as well. So think before you ink um, and really uh, think about that in your motive, your marketability, your message, and your maturity as well. Number three, third question we're going to tackle today. How old is the earth? 
How old is the earth? Let me give you three theories, three thoughts. I'll tell you which one I, I lean towards. Uh, you take it or leave it what you want. Number one is called the gap theory. The gap theory is that there's a gap between Genesis 1, for in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1, 2, and the earth was formless and void. That there's a gap between those, and we don't know how long that gap was. The Schofield Reference Bible, a very popular Bible in previous day, uh, is what made that popular. Um, and so that's kind of what's, what's the theory on that with the gap theory. Number two is the day slash, slash age theory. And when he says, and the first day I created this, and the second day I created this, and God created the world in six days, he really didn't mean days, he meant ages of time, okay? So these are periods of time that this creation happened. You could take First um, Peter chapter, excuse me, Second Peter chapter three, verse eight, for a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, okay? Gives a, a comparison of that. The third one, and this is the one that I would say, um, you know, I, I, you, I'm not going to fight you on it, but this is one that I would say if I had to pick one. The literal six days theory that it is created, the creation in Genesis 1 is a 24-hour period. The Hebrew word is yom, Y-O-M, yom. It means a 24-hour period. And so that's what the words used through that. And that God created the world with age. Adam and Eve were not babies. Adam and Eve were adults. The trees were not saplings, the trees had fruit on it, okay? There was mountains, there was fish in the sea, there was animals to name, so that God created with age um, that he created the heavens and the earth. Exodus 20, verse 11, the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them in six days, and then he rested on the seventh. So there's your three theories, choose your own adventure, all right? Number four, here's the best one we got to ask in Houston. Why mosquitoes? That's what I was asked. Our last question is, why mosquitoes? This could only be asked in Houston. And I want you to get that it, it was asked in Houston in the winter, you know? This is how deep this is in us, of this fear. There's not even mosquitoes right now. Well, I did a little research for you. A lady named Dr. Nora Basansky of Notre Dame, professor of biology specializing in mosquitoes. Can you think of a worse job than that? Biology major specializing in mosquitoes. I'm sure she's a very smart lady. She says they are for food for fish and other insect predators and birds, and they pollinate plants. I didn't know that. It's only the males that take blood from their hosts, and most of them have nothing to do with humans. There's 3,500 to 4,000 types of mosquitoes. Only 100 of them get you for blood, okay? And I think all 100 of them live on the Gulf Coast, all right? That's where they are. All those species are right here for us. So the other ones feed on snakes and frogs and birds, but 100 or less than 100 are a problem for humans. And so that's the scientific thing. Let me give you the spiritual thing. God wants us to yearn for heaven, okay? That's why he wants to be there. Your dog will be in heaven, but a mosquito won't be, okay? That's what we're hoping. Where we go. All right, let's pray together and we'll jump into the Word of God. Father, we thank you, Lord, for good questions. We've been asking these questions along the way. It's been a blessing. It's been a lot of fun. And so we thank you, Lord, that you've got questions in your Word, too, that we can look at, we can see. And so, Father, we come in Jesus' name thanking you that you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and we've got a great day before us to look at an incredible passage of Scripture of the good questions that Paul puts before us. What a blessing. And so we ask for that um, to just be your heart, your mind, that you would do your work. Would you pray just right where you are and just ask the Lord that he would speak to you. Just ask him to speak to you today.
Lord, we believe that you'll speak to us. We might not like what you say, but we want to be obedient, and we may love what you say, but we want to walk with you, God, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. Chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Grab your listening guide as well and be able to take some notes as we go along the way. We've been journeying through Romans 9, 10, and 11. Very difficult three chapters of Scripture. Now, we started Romans 1 months ago, but the last few weeks we've been in 9, 10, and 11. Chapter 9 talked about the sovereignty of God. Chapter 10 talked about man or woman's, human's responsibility to respond to God. Chapter 11 talked about the Jews and the Gentiles, and God was faithful to his promise. So these three chapters, very difficult. They've been argued about. They've been debated about. They've been fought about. They probably divided churches on these things. But we've looked at this, and we said, okay, it's primarily about Israel, but we want to understand some things about us as well. Do you know that Paul, in the Christian Standard Bible, in the last three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, There's been 30 questions posed by Paul in the scriptures. Basically, 10 questions per chapter. So that's why we're calling it good questions. Paul's been asking questions as well. And now when we get to this ending part of Romans 11, verse 33 is where we're going to start. We're going to see Paul in worship. That's what's going to happen. It's going to be, wow, incredible. Celebrate, drop the mic. We're going to end the message really up. He's not going to come and say, oh, The questions are killing me. He's going to say, Lord, you're amazing and you're bringing life. Look at the first verse, chapter 11, verse 33. I'll read verse 33 through 36. So you'll get the whole deal and then we'll jump back one by one. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments. How untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Verse 33, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his ways. The first question is this, how do we respond to the plans of God? How do we respond to the plans of God? It's a great question because his plans are not our plans. Isaiah chapter 55, it says this, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My plans are not your plans. And here's what's gonna happen. If you follow Jesus for any amount of time, you're gonna end up at a place you wanna go right and God's gonna call you left. You're gonna wanna go left and the circumstances are gonna pull you right. And you're gonna have to walk in enough maturity to say, God, I'm gonna trust you And I'm going to walk this out even when I don't see it. So Paul begins with one little word, O-H. He just says, oh, oh, I love that. It's the Greek letter omega. That's what he said here, omega, end. You know the end, oh. I hope there's times in your life of worship that you just go, oh, I didn't realize what you were doing. Oh, I didn't realize how good you were. Oh, I didn't know you could provide like that. Oh, I didn't know it would be so hard, but you'd be so faithful. So Paul is saying, oh, the riches and the depth of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. He doesn't end with saying, oh, I've got more questions. Oh, that wasn't a good enough answer. 
Oh, I'm struggling so bad. I think I'm going to forsake you, Lord. Oh, God, you're not good. Oh, God, you're so mean. Instead, he comes and he says, oh, the depth. We can't get to that depth. The depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Be in awe of the details and the depth and the wisdom of God's plan of salvation that he showed us through Romans 9 through 11. That's what he's talking about. His plan for Israel, his plan for the nations, his plan for you and for me, how he's worked in your life story. He says that it's unsearchable and it's untraceable. Now, these two words are really amazing. Unsearchable that you could seek and find for sure. But wow, God is so vast. He's so big that Paul says it's unsearchable. He's so good. If all the books were written about all the things that Jesus did, it said at the end of the Gospels, it says that all the books, the world couldn't even hold all the books. He's unsearchable. His depths, his magnitude, his riches, unsearchable and untraceable. Now, untraceable is a difficult one. Here's a difficult one of untraceable. Untraceable is this. It would be the root word of it means without footsteps. So I want you to think about this. You're tracking in the snow. Now, we've, you know, you've heard of snow before, right, Houston? We've, got, we've seen it in pictures. So you're tracking in the snow. You're seeing the footsteps, and then you get to a place where you can't find the footsteps anymore. That's what it means by untraceable. It'd be like a bloodhound on a scent and then loses the scent, okay? Untraceable. In your walk with Christ, in my walk with Christ, there will be times we are following God, and that's what we're to do. We're to be followers of a shepherd. We're following God, and we'll get to a place where we can't see his footprints, and we can't catch his scent, and we got to do the last right thing he told us to do, and we got to keep on walking. We don't know how, how's it going to turn out when the doctor said cancer? Lord, where are you? How's it going to turn out when my kids aren't following you like I want them to, or God wants them to. How's it going to turn out in my marriage? How's it going to turn out in my business? What's it going to look like when the market does this or does that? How's this going to be? And you're going to have to just follow God and realize he's got untraceable plans. He's at work when we can't see him at work so that we keep following him. And then at some point we go, oh, do you have places like that in your life? Do you kind of go, how did I get to this job? How did I end up in this marriage? How did I end up in this family? How did I end up in this town? How did I end up in this place? Oh, that's what you were doing. Now I look back, I met so-and-so for this other purpose. I thought it was this and it was this. When I lost my job here, I gained my job here and look what you did. When I went through that trial that I wouldn't wish you my worst enemy, you did something in me that changed who I am for all of eternity. Think about Joseph, not Mary and Joseph in the New Testament, Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph in the Old Testament gets sold into slavery by his brothers, thrown into a well. What if they would have said, yeah, but at the end of the book, Joseph, you're going to be the head of Egypt, second in command in Egypt, and your brothers are going to come to you and you're going to give them food in the midst of a famine. Oh, that's fine then. But he didn't know the end of the story. It's untraceable, untraceable what God can do. Can I just tell you from my own, my own life, my own life, 
I'm amazed and just, wow, I, I get to be your pastor here at our great church. What, a, what an amazing thing. And, and before we had multi-campuses, the Loop campus was the only campus. And I came as a teenager. My student ministry came to this very room and we sat right up in the middle of the balcony and we came for a youth event called Something's Happening Houston that was a citywide youth event. And I came as a teenager and they shared the gospel. And I just sat up there just amazed, new in my faith, took one of my friends out and we went to the road right out here, Memorial Woods Road, and sat in his Camaro. Does it feel like the 80s? And I led him to Christ right there. If you would have told me at 17 years old, I'd be the pastor decades later, I couldn't even have handled it. I wouldn't know what to do with it. I mean, I was at that stage, I was just working on trying to quit cussing. I mean, that's about the level I was at, much less trying to figure out the age of the earth. I mean, you know, so I've grown a little bit. How do these things happen? They're untraceable. God does things that you just can't imagine. On that same story, there's a lady, a member of our church. She was driving by my church when I was a teenager that came, we came with our youth group to this big old church because we didn't have stuff like that in our little old church. Came to this big old church to do that. And she was driving by on the way to work down Wilcrest Avenue. And when she drove down Wilcrest, there was Wilcrest Baptist Church, the church that I became a Christian in, that I was baptized in as a teenager. That was my church. And she felt led of the Lord. She said it was a heavy burden. I felt led of the Lord. I should pull over, park in the parking lot, and pray for God to raise up leaders from that church. She pulled over into the parking lot and said, God, I don't know why you're asking me to do this. This is weird. I don't do things like this, but I'm praying in my car on the way to work, asking you to raise up leaders in this church with these students. And in that church, there I was as a teenager, and decades later, I would be her pastor. Is that crazy? Yeah. I'm cheering for that for sure. Best thing that ever happened, right? Untraceable are his ways. You and I keep walking, keep walking. And let God do it. So the answer of that, I should have given the answer. How do we respond? With awe and wonder. We respond with awe and wonder. How do we respond to the plans of God? With awe and wonder. Wow. Oh, incredible. Yes, even in hard times. You know that it talks about, they've done research on awe. When you see great things and you're just in awe of it, they've done research on how it actually affects us. Research by psychologists in Stanford University and the University of Minnesota shows that while we're experiencing awe, it increases our well-being. This is just a secular study. This isn't the Bible. This is just Stanford and, and Minnesota studying this. That when we're experiencing awe, we are completely present, which is hard to do in today's world. And time seems to stand still. And we're 100% engaged with the experience. And awe does something in our hearts. It tames stress even. And I wonder if that's why God knew that long before in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted in the nations. Can I just show you a couple of things that just give you some awe? Let me show you a picture. This is from the Hubble telescope. This is called the keyhole of space. The keyhole of space. It's about 1,350 light years from Earth. Get that. Can you even get your mind around that? And that hole in there, they say, is an empty region of space. They can't figure out what's in there. Well, I'll tell you what it is. It's the depths of the wisdom and the riches of God. Because Psalm tells us that the heavens declare his glory. And you can't figure out at NASA, you can figure out with Jesus. 
And so awe and wonder that that's 1,350 light years from earth. And we think we know something because we're 42. Wow, look at what God can do. Let's just move to another one. Let's just throw another one up, the Grand Canyon. You don't stand there and go, man, I'm awesome. I'm so big. My email's important. Let me check my phone and get this text message. I got some things going on at the house. I don't have time for these things. You step back and you go, the Grand Canyon. If you were to go from the Grand Canyon and then you were to take it from the hot of Arizona and jump up to the, to the ice of Alaska and say, oh Lord, we only see the tip of what you're doing. We don't see the depths of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of God. Lord, look at the things that we see, but look how much more is down below. Wow, we are in awe of things. I've never seen a, an iceberg in my life. Probably you hadn't either, unless you want an Alaskan cruise, but they don't, they're not on Buffalo Bayou, right? So this amazing wonder, let me show you just, just a couple more. A baby, man, it's humans. We can heal, we can be hurt, we can, we can heal, we can, we can think, we can love, we can care. This sperm and this egg come together to become this person that's you and that's me and, and God knits us together in the womb and this beautiful, sweet little baby comes and the care and love of a mother and a father and wow, the wonders of God. And the greatest wonder I could ever show you is this last picture the empty tomb of Jesus Christ, that Christ rose again from the grave. He wasn't resuscitated. He was resurrected. He is alive forevermore. He's here right now working in our hearts and our lives. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, that's pretty amazing and all, died on a cross and rose again and now seated in the heavenlies as well. Do you remember the, the, the apostles, the disciples, they didn't understand at the cross what was going on. They went and hid all these things. He had said, I'm gonna die and I'm gonna rise again. I'm gonna die. And they still couldn't figure out. They lost the scent of his path. And yet he rose again and they changed the world. You hang in there and keep walking with God in these places where we don't understand. So it brings us to our next question. How do we respond to the mysteries of God? How do we respond to the mysteries of God? We respond with humble hearts. I'll show it to you in the scripture in just a second. We respond with humble hearts. The mysteries of God, there are mysteries of God. No doubt about it, there are mysteries Here's what it says in verse 34. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? Has anybody tithed so much that God owes them? Has anybody been where God's knocking on your door and saying, hey, do you have any advice in this situation? I was kind of wondering what's going on. I know I'm taking care of 8 billion people, but I thought you might have an answer. What do you think? Who's become his counselor? Who's become the one that knows his mind? We have humble hearts and we say, Lord, the answer is in you, not in me. God, I'm dependent upon you. You're not dependent upon me. And here's where life switches. When we quit trying to give God suggestions and we follow his commands. We all do it. It's called prayer. That's kind of giving suggestions to God, isn't it? It's not bad. I'm not saying that's bad. 
But what did Jesus say? Not my will, but yours be done. So we give our suggestions, we give our prayers, we give our hopes, we give our things that we want. Nothing wrong with that. I, I prayed today, I'm gonna pray tomorrow, I'm gonna pray more today. It's great. But to, to say, Lord, I'm under your commands. See, it's not what's God's will for my life. The question is, what's God's will? And if I can find out what God's will is, then my life can come up underneath it and he can use me as a tool to be a part of accomplishing his will. You see the difference? And so God says, I want you to know, you don't know my mind. You don't know my ways. You're not my counselor. And he's not angry about it. He's just stating a fact. And you've never given to me that I should repay you. I love what this one lady says. Evan, Evelyn, Evelyn Underhill says this, if God were so small to be understood, he would not be big enough to be worshiped. If God was small enough to be understood, he wouldn't be big enough to be worshiped. So we all want God to get him in our hands, get him in our little box. Okay, I, I get what's going on and I approve. Okay, thanks. Put Jesus in my pocket and take him wherever I want him to go. Instead, the fact that he's so big allows us to now worship. So our life is about worship, not about vocation. Our life is about worship, not about family. Our life is about worship, not about, you know, our stuff. Our life is about worshiping him. It's not that we love things too much, it's that we love God too little. It's not that things are too big in our eyes. Your job is very important. Your family is tremendously important. Your, your life for God is tremendously important. But let God be bigger than all those things and be a God that is a God that is worshiped. See, what's happened here is Paul has moved from theology in Romans 1 through 11 in this ending part. He's moved from theology into poetry. He's moved from theology into doxology. He's moved from the ways of God into the worship of God. And so he says, oh, how deep are the riches of his wisdom and knowledge, how unsearchable his judgments, how untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? For who has become his counselor? For who has given to God that he should be repaid? No one, no one, no one. Have you heard the name George Washington Carver? I bet you have. I know you have. I bet you've heard of him. I wonder if you know much about him. Let me tell you a little bit about George Washington Carver that shows the greatness of God. He was a godly man. He was a prayerful man. He would talk about, he would go out into the woods and he would pray and he'd ask God for answers and he'd come back to the laboratory and he would obey God. His boss was Booker T. Washington was his boss. So they were at the uh, Tuskegee Institute and they were doing all this research. And so here are the words. These are actually George Washington Carver's words. Show you his picture up there. Good man, smiley guy, looked like a friendly man. Wish we could have known him. He decided or realized that you had to rotate the crops. We're talking about rural Southern life. You had to rotate the crops or the soil would, would take too much nutrients out and you'd lose everything. So you couldn't just do cotton, cotton, cotton. You had to then do peanuts and sweet potatoes and you could come back to cotton. But he knew there had to be more uses for peanuts because people were like, well, we don't want to grow that. Why grow that? That's going to ruin our year. So here's what he did. People asked Carver, how he came up with so many innovative and unusual ideas for peanuts and sweet potatoes. Here's what he says. I don't make these discoveries. God worked through me to reveal to his children some of his wonderful providence. One day I went to my laboratory and I said, dear Mr. Creator, I love that. Dear Mr. Creator, please tell me what the universe was made for. And the great creator answered me and said, you want to know too much for that little mind of yours. He said, okay, then tell me what man was created for. 
And then he said again, the Mr. Creator said to me, you're still asking too much. So then I asked, Mr. Creator, would you tell me why a peanut was made? If I can't know what the world was created for, if I can't know what man was created for, if I can't know what that's created for, can you just tell me what a peanut was created for? And he said, and then the Creator said to me, that's better. And God answered and said, what do you want to know about the peanut? And God revealed to him over 300 products coming from a peanut. Flour, paste, insulation, paper, wallboard, wood stain, soap, shaving cream, and, uh, and skin lotion, and all of these things. So then he ended up in 1921, he addressed the House of Representatives Committee on Ways and Means, and they asked him, they asked him this, Mr. Carver, Dr. Carver, how did you learn all these things? He said, from an old book. They said, what book? And Mr. Carver said, the Bible. And he said, does the Bible teach about peanuts? The House of Representatives asked. And he says, no, but it teaches about himself and about the God who made the peanut. And I asked him to show me what to do with the peanut, and he did. And after about an hour of talking, Dr. Carver got exactly what he wanted from that committee. Who has the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Well, I want to know why and how and what's up with that. Lord, would you just tell me what a peanut does? All right, now we got it on the right level for you. And God did, and we're better for it. Last question, and we're done. How do we respond to the greatness of God? How do we respond to the greatness of God? With worship, that's how we respond. That's how we respond to the greatness of God. Look at verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Sounds just like Colossians 1.17. To him be the glory forever. Amen. How amazing that Paul's theology becomes a doxology. His talking about the ways of God becomes the worship of God. His words here of theology become poetry. And Paul says, amen. Revelation 1.8 says that Jesus is the beginning and the end. All things are to him, are through him, and are for him. So in your life and mine, as we wrap up, it's all from him. What did we get that we owe God, uh, that we didn't get from God, that somehow he owes us? It's all through him. So we walk our lives through him, even when we can't get the scent for a while. And we're like, Lord, I just got to trust you because I walk by faith, not by sight. And I'm going to walk through this time, this hard, difficult time. I'm going to walk through it. And I'm going to let God do his work in me and through me. And I'm going to let all these things be to you. For from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be all the glory. So what's our response to God? Our response to God in the first question was wonder. Wow, you created the heavens, you created the Grand Canyon, you created me. Icebergs in an empty tomb. Look at the Lord. I'm so humble, Lord. If you could just help me with a peanut, I'd be so grateful. And God, I worship you with everything that I have. Aren't you glad Romans 11 doesn't end with, and we had a good fight about Calvinism and Arminianism. Oh, and I'm a sovereignty guy, and I'm a free will guy, and let's split the church over it. Let's fight about it. He says, no, let's end in worship of a God that we can't figure this whole thing out. He's that big, and we embrace it. 
Here's what we're going to do, congregation. All campuses, all over Houston, this is going to happen. In just a second, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have all of us stand up, and we're going to recite Isaiah, uh, excuse me, Romans 11, verse 33 through 36, all together in unison. We're going to worship the Lord. You know, the longest book in your Bible is the book of Psalms, which what is it? It's a hymnal of worship. That's what we're to do. We're going to worship the Lord with this response, and we're going to say these verses of scriptures. We're going to say it with proud, loud and proud. We're going to say it from our hearts. We're going to say it over the things in our life we don't understand. We're going to declare it. We're not going to say it like I'm ready for lunch. We're not going to say it like the Super Bowl is at 530. We're going to say it like the Super Bowl is right now, okay? So that's how we're going to say it in just a second. And then we're going to go into a song called Worthy of It All. You're worthy of it all. And we're going to declare that. And then I'm going to give you a couple thoughts, and then we're going to be dismissed after that. That's the ending line, okay? We're just starting out. I'm just giving you a two-minute warning, all right? And we're just we're going to cruise along. Even Patrick Mahomes needs a coach, so I'm coaching you right here. You know what to do, but it's going to work out to get all this together, to let the Lord just speak into our hearts and to hear this verse of Scripture as we declare this together. So are you ready? Here we go. Let's stand up together. Let's recite these verses of Scripture together. Worship team's going to come back out. Get ready for us. We're going to put them on the screens. We're going to say it together out loud and proud. And we're going to declare this together as we wrap up this good question series. Here we go on the count of three. Ready? Say it with me. One, two, three. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? And who has ever given to God that he should be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Let's cheer for that. Come on now. Let's do it. Yes. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.